friends, it's Vanessa and Anthony from the Life of AVAX podcast. In this episode, our special guest is commercial photographer Eric Almas. His photos are both unique and elegant, and we are so excited to chat with him today. So let's go ahead and jump into the episode now. So my name is Eric Almas. I am a photographer, uh, do mostly commercial work. I live in the U.S., been here for what's now going to be 25 years. It's been a long time, but I'm from Norway. Uh, and I moved to the U.S. at 22 to study. So now I've been more than half my life here in the U.S. Do you still go back to Norway frequently and visit? So before this uh, COVID situation, I used to go home a lot. I really craved Norway and had my resets there and being with family there. So it still plays a big part of my life to go home. Yeah. I imagine that you get a lot of inspiration from like the landscapes there as well. Is oh, that yeah. correct? or? Yeah, more than I realized, right? Because when you're starting taking pictures, you don't really know what drives you and what you're attracted to for what reasons. But as you can reflect back on your career, you can start seeing sort of the thread through your life and what, what, why you're attracted to certain things. And for sure, my upbringing and um, the, the summer house, especially that I used to go to quite a bit as a kid that I was kind of dreading because... You know, who want to go to this tiny town of 150 people, you know, when you're a kid. <laughs> but then yeah. you realize later on that this place is so nurturing and so magnificent, right? Um, it really has yes. informed a lot of the things that I am attracted to and that you see in my pictures today. I, I definitely see that. Like, um, I think one of the photos that we first uh, saw, I found you on Pinterest. And it was... Um, Isn't that crazy, right? Yeah. On Pinterest. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah. Out, of, out of all things. Right? Uh, <laughs> it, was yeah. like... it was a few years ago, and it was the photo of one of the girls holding up the um, the big truck. Yeah. He did like oh, a whole yeah. series yeah, it of a it. Series yeah. Of yeah. And I remember I clicked on that picture, and I kind of just fell into a rabbit hole. And that's when I <laughs> started looking at all your pictures, and I kind of just, you know, stalked you for a while on social media. And I was just like so fascinated <laughs> with with your work yeah so and i just remember being um i mean i i feel like i'm still kind of like a baby in this whole um industry and just finding my art like i'm very i'm, I'm still in that like infant stage mm -hmm. and i think when i found you i was most drawn to like the the way you use landscapes and um oh, yeah. the way you the add like yeah like the coloring and all of that like i was just fascinated with it because yeah. I had never even dabbled with that and I didn't even know how to utilize a landscape like that. So I was just very drawn yeah. to that. Because we started with shooting like on a wall in our home. Yeah. You know, so it was like when we stepped outside, we were like, what do we do now? Yeah. Like, what do we shoot? You know what I mean? Because if you look at a lot of the older pictures, they're just all in our home. Like a lot yeah. of the composites were just in the living room or in the bedroom. And so yeah. the minute we stepped out, I think we took a trip to Canada that that year, and we were just like, we don't know what the hell to do. Yeah, you know, so <laughs> we didn't know how to set it up or anything. Yeah. Um, so it was definitely a, a weird thing for us. You yeah. Know? That's a great story, though. And don't sell yourself short by saying you're young in this profession. I feel for my generation and the ones before me, it would take so long to build a career, but today, right, building a career can be done. Well, I can exaggerate here, but within a year or so, right, you could build build a massive following and actually reach an audience way bigger than what we could when I was starting out, schlepping portfolios around. So 
I think the part of being young in this career has really, really changed. You know, you can look at some of these early influencers, right? With five, 10 million followers, they've done photography for five years and they are like established, right? So, oh, yeah. 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 Know, don't sell yourself short on that, uh, <laughs> being young in this uh, photography game because it's so evolving so fast. So, I, I myself feel like a dinosaur. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've been at it for a long time. So you've always been into photography, right? It was something that you kind of just always were not, drawn to? Or? Not really. It started with, well, several things, right? I was skiing a lot and looked at Ski Magazine and uh, we wanted to take ski pictures. And then uh, in Norway at the time, every Norwegian male had to um, do one year of service in the army or the national defense, as they call it. And in that, they... Uh, do a lot of activities when you go to these, you can't really leave the camp, right? The first three months that you're there. So they have all these things that you could do in the afternoons and evenings. And part of that was a darkroom course. So that was my first initial sort of dabble into it. And um, I had some good friends that was curious about photography that had cameras and all that. So all that sort of sort of got massaged together into me being really curious and then I was a DJ at the time and I thought I can't do this oh. anymore. I got to do something else. <laughs> and the only thing that was interesting to me was pictures. So uh, that's how that happened. I started talking to photographers and then ended up studying the, in, in the US. So, uh, so yeah, that was my journey, the beginning of my journey. That is, that is pretty fascinating. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, it's pretty crazy. Like um, when you think about because you say uh, that you're a dinosaur or whatever, but I know a lot of people like look up to you, especially like a, a lot of younger photographers mm -hmm. uh, definitely like look up to you. And I think there's a difference like with people coming up now. And this is something me and Vanessa were talking about the other day was like um, when you do work, people seek out your aesthetic, right? Like a brand seeks out your aesthetic um, versus like an influencer or someone who's on social media as a photographer. I feel like it's more not necessarily their work that attracts the brand, but it's just like their following. Mm -hmm. So there's such a, a a line in the sand with that where it's like, uh, do they really want me for like the creative work that I'm doing? Do they see it valuable or is it just because they want to tap into my followers, you know? Exactly, yeah. And so there's a there's a difference there. I think a lot of people, uh, you know, the majority of brands you work for are want you because of your aesthetic. And to me, that's a lot more desirable, you know? Yeah in that regard i think you can do both right obviously the you know the, the classic ones is the the ladies uh with the bikini pictures for them it's obviously their audience but then there's also really mm -hmm. good photographers right including yourself that has built a larger audience that could straddle both right you get the audience and the media outlet which um and an influencer is uh and the craft so you know i had my struggles with instagram because i realize that I have to be a part of it. But then I also find that it's such a distraction uh, when it comes to the time and all the stuff yes. that I want to accomplish. So oh, yeah. I took a year off Instagram and then I thought for all social media. And then I thought, oh, I got to dive back in. And I think I lasted half a year. And now I'm just, oh, you know, it's such a double-edged sword, isn't it? Yes. No, it really is. Um, we talk about that all the time where it's um, in order to be on Instagram or any social media platform, it, it literally is a full-time job, but the con mm -hmm. to that is that it takes away from you doing your passion projects that actually yeah. um, 
that actually, you know, it's the content that you want to share, but you don't have time to do it because you have to be so engaged with social media. And mm -hmm. uh, the way social media is nowadays, it's it's almost uh, like where you have to choose between either quality or quantity. And I think right now quantity is always the winner. Yeah. Um, so I struggle with that all the time because I want to have time to do these passion projects and just to improve as like an artist. But I can't all the time because I'm having to work on the social media side. So it's it's definitely a, a, a struggle and mm -hmm. it's challenging. Yeah. <laughs> it is for sure. So it plays to what you just said, right? Being a craftsman and uh, an artist on one side and then building an audience so that you could be relevant in this marketplace on the other. Exactly. So. Yeah. And that's just the burden of being like self-employed too, right? I mean, you have to literally be everything. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to be your own marketing, your own, you know, content creator, your own editor, lawyer, you know, it's just like everything, <laughs> it, yeah. you know what I mean? So it's just, yeah. it's so difficult to even break that barrier and yeah. to become self-employed self as an artist, mm -hmm. you know, it, it's so difficult nowadays. Yeah. yeah. I know that you have quite a team that you work with and... We find that very uh, just intriguing because mm -hmm. like I know, I mean, it's just my husband and I and then we recently got um, it's cause two we helpers. It's because we can't even get along. So yeah, like, so, like, you know, creative you, differences. <laughs> you know, so I find that so interesting, you it, know? It, it's kind of a, a weird twist because, you know, we're, uh, you know, we're married and then we're also like co-workers. So mm -hmm. we're, <laughs> we're always like pulling in different directions. Uh, as far as a creative process, you know? So what's that like working on such a big team, you know, when you do commercial work and having everyone come to you and look for you for answers? It must be really stressful. Oh, for sure it is. It comes with a lot of expectations, right? Exactly. And you, you take on... So the process starts, you know, sometimes years before it comes to me where a, a brand develop a concept or the agency does that for them and then they fine tune it there's focus groups there's all these different layers to it and then they get the financial approval and the creative approval to get it done and then they reached out to several photographers the bidding process starts and if you get awarded the job this whole process right with all these layers of approval and these people really putting their heart into it comes down to you being able to execute uh, their ideas with your vision so with that comes a lot of pressure uh, so yes, it is stressful. When it comes to the team, though, they're really there to help you take that pressure off in some ways. So you have a producer, which is um, sort of the backbone of every photo shoot, that will make sure that all the pieces are there and you don't have to worry about it, right? So that's number one. Number two is your camera assistants. There's the stylist, which is a big one. I mean, you guys are doing all these parts yourself, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you do the concepting, you do the production of it, you do the styling of it, you, your talent is mostly a family. So, but all those things on the bigger production is um, in some ways handed to you. So in that manner, it's actually less stressful. You have the creative directors that comes from the agency that you lean on for ideas and together you get to collaborate. And I have to say, I really thrived as a commercial photographer because there's an environment there where you could feed off each other. It's not as um, uh, singular or as um, solitary as it is to create uh, personal work. 
because that starts with you and a desire to create and then it sort of surfaces and it goes from there and you're in a commercial environment with this large team you talk about it's actually quite um I'm not sure if it's liberating, but it's intoxicating. It's fueling mm. you, I think, mm. for me anyway, uh, to have that one support team mm -hmm. and, and two of the creative partners from the agency. So it can maybe seem stressful that you are responsible for a larger crew, but it's actually not. Mm -hmm. um, gotcha. It's actually, they're, they're, they're there um, to really help you out. So if, in the beginning, maybe it's stressful because people want answers from you. But I think as you grow into it and you realize you can, trust your partners. And I worked with my producer and my stylist has been with me for the longest. I mean, we go back since we were both camera assistants and stylist assistants. That's now 22 years back. Um, so there's an, an immense amount of trust there so that we could just, we know what we like, we know where the aesthetics are. I have you know, it's just for me to say, hey, Christine, can you have a conversation with the agency to see what their vision is for the clothing? And then we talk and we don't have to talk that much because we have worked together for so long. So, so it unfolds in a very beautiful way, right? That's taken pressure off in the end, I think, for me. Exactly. So I could solely focus on, you know, where does the light come up? Where does it mm -hmm. go down? Mm -hmm. How does it shape the face and sort of control or shape the picture rather than all the other small elements that you guys are doing everything on, which I did in the beginning. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, so... That was a long answer. The answer is it might seem intimidating to work with a good crew but um, or a big crew, but when they're there and you're in it, it's actually really uh, liberating. So, And like you said, it's all about establishing the trust and working together yeah. for a while that you, that you have that. We uh, recently got two, um, they're not like assistants, but they're like, we call them our, our helpers, they're family. And... Um, we're kind of training them and trying to show them like the, you know, show the, the ropes. Yeah, yeah. To try to help <laughs> us because we need, we need help. And, um, but it's, it's, I definitely, you know, I'm, I'm waiting for that moment where we're like, okay, we, we trust them fully for them to, you know, work as a yeah. team. And, but right now we're in that stage where we're still having to train and, yeah. and stuff like that. But I, I would love to get at the level where I have like a team and I don't have to do everything, you know, myself. <laughs> and, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, you will get there for sure. Oh, my God. Um, yeah, it's a big step. It's a really big step. So my careers have gone in waves, right? For 12 years, I had a studio manager. And for most of that time, I also had a full-time assistant. Um, and then life changed. And, you know, so now I'm just myself. But so what we learned through that time, right, is that you do everything yourself, then you get help. And in those 12 years that I did have support, every day in the, in the office, I got so much stuff done. So you realize you can move a lot faster, right? If you have, have some support. Now with my career really established, it's like, you know, I could do without it. And yeah. there's different priorities for me, which is family and all that stuff. So, Very true. so yeah, no, you'll, you'll get there for sure. And uh, you'll catch a lot of speed <laughs> yeah. you know, if, if you have someone to support you. Very yeah, I, I remember watching one of your tutorials like a few years ago and I think it was the one where it was a girl in like this hotel setting. Mm -hmm. And I think you had your retoucher Chris behind you in the same room, but it was like a little room. And um, it was so intense to me. Like even my heart was pounding for you because every minute like someone was coming in the room, they were like, Eric, what do you think about this makeup? Eric, what do you think about this hair? And Eric, what do you think? And I was like, dang, man, like that must be like so stressful to deal with all, like having people ping you for 
questions like almost like every minute and then you having to get set up and direct the model and doing all these things simultaneously you know and it's just like oh my gosh we're just used to our kids and you know in, in our homes so it's just like <laughs> you know what i mean so it, it was such a different uh, it was cool to see that yeah. you know it was really cool to see because i never understood that you know i never knew it was like that you, being on a set yeah and you don't realize the team that it takes to yeah. create something like that you know so mm-hmm. it's, yeah well very few very few do and especially when you, when you get into a commercial setting uh you know i go into a new environment or a party and they ask what i do and i say i'm a photographer and you know everyone can relate to photography mm-hmm. uh, and they all love it and the conversation usually stares into, oh, my sister, she's a great photographer, you should see. <laughs> yeah. So very few people, right, realize the, the time and the effort and the people it takes to get together to, to create some of these pictures that we do. Exactly. Yeah. They just see the end result, you know, mm-hmm. of all the hard work that it takes to get there, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. So yeah. That's, that's pretty intense. Where do you get most of your inspiration from? Um, I know you said that you also work with, you know, other people and you collaborate on, uh, you know, concepts and stuff like that. But maybe for like passion projects that you that you've done, um, where do you draw your inspiration from? Because I feel like that's like the the number one question people always ask artists and photographers is where do you get inspired from? So it's a good question, right? Because people, everyone think it comes from one place, but it doesn't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It comes from a lot of different places. Um. I think it's one thing that leads to another, that leads to another thing. Um, I think it's a subject matter that you're drawn to. So we talked about how I could look back at my career and see how the Norwegian landscape have shaped me. But another great example that I didn't realize until way later was I started taking pictures of um, a lot of older men, right? Mm-hmm. And I grew up without a father. So when you look back at that right mm-hmm. now that I'm way older you could say okay there's a clear psychological thing there that I was drawn to a father figure and that's why I took yeah. those pictures mm-hmm. and when I was in it I could never say that oh there's a deep longing in myself and that's what feeds my creativity but I could say that today so I think for artists uh, if I were to give some advice they really just got to do some introspection right to say um, but really are my longings. I think that's a big one. Mm-hmm. I think we could find a lot of inspiration in the things we long for. Um, if that's relationships, if that's things, if that's experiences. Um, yeah, I think longing is a big one. And then you can start layering on top of that, right? Uh, read books. Books are amazing, and especially reading, because then you paint pictures in your mind about who these characters are and where they're Mm -hmm. at and all these things. Movies are super inspirational, but they're more literal. So you can look at films and all that stuff, right, for light quality and references, but realize that those pictures are created for you by someone else's dream or someone else's imagination. So Mm. I think it's a layering thing. Start with longings and then read and then obviously you got to fuel the visuals too, because even if you have something that you're attracted to or longing for, you got to know what kind of light quality and what color palette and what settings you're drawn to as well. So you got to sort of find your way through all of that and, mm-hmm. and then start taking pictures. 
Or maybe it's the other way around, because if you start taking pictures, you will eventually find out um, what color you're attracted to, what light you're attracted to, what subject matters there is. And, but then there's family too, right? So I came to, to, to fatherhood fairly late. My daughter is now three and a half. And that's crazy inspirational. Oh. And when I read for her or I see her imagination, I go, holy moly, I get really inspired. Yes. They are just so clever and yes. so bright. So I feel like I almost missed out on some creative partner, you know, in not having kids earlier. So you guys say, oh, we just have our family. I mean, that's a great source of inspiration. Oh, yeah. So, and yeah. I, I, I agree. Yeah. The, the kids, I mean, that's like our number one thing is we're just drawn to the whole childhood imagination and divergent thinking and everything that kind of fuels that whole, mm-hmm. that whole area. But I think one thing that um, I love about what you said about longing is um, it's like a topic that Anthony and I always discuss is people always um, like want to talk about mastering you were saying um like photography or photoshop or just art in general but it's the emotion it's the emotion that's in the picture it's the emotion it's the story that you tell that really Mm -hmm. um sets you apart from you know the millions of other photographers and artists and digital artists and you know in in the world and i think that's something that a lot of people kind of struggle is to find that story to find that emotion that they can you know, evoke in their work mm-hmm. and, and, and really just, you know, bring that photo to the next level. Um, and I, and I love that you said like using, you know, longing to, to do Yeah. That. I love that. Yeah. I absolutely love that. Yeah. It's, it's not buying a new lens, right? That will do it. <laughs> exactly. So you don't, f- <laughs> no, but it, it's so, you know, I'm actually kind of glad for the iPhone because it's taken a lot of the technical stuff out of photography. Mm-hmm. Still, but even more so before the iPhone, everyone talked about what lens you had mm-hmm. and what camera you had. Yeah. And if you look at the blogs, you know what really gets comments and views are these reviews of cameras. So we're still really, as photographers, really drawn to the equipment mm-hmm. and the technical part. Mm-hmm. But it has nothing to do really with, unless you do, you know, close-ups or birds. Or, obviously, you've got to have the right equipment, but... It's less about that and more about the emotional aspect, right? Which is fueled by color and light and content. Exactly. Yeah. How, what do you do to kind of work that in there? Like when you're working with models and you're working with just subjects, like what's something that you do to kind of uh, get them to really feel um, and really reflect that in in their body language, mm-hmm. their facial expressions? So I feel like that, that really... Um, that really makes a difference, you know. Um, you know, when you can really capture that. Yeah, we, we figured that out expression. pretty pretty early when working with kids, especially. It's mm-hmm. like if you tell them to just go and make a pose, they're they're most likely just not going to do it at all, or they're going to get very frustrated. But yeah. let's say you play a game with them where you kind of role play a scenario with them, then it's like it becomes a lot more second nature, mm-hmm. and you could capture that pose or that, you know, whatever setting that you're trying to invoke. Mm-hmm. So that's exactly it. Yeah. yeah, that's exactly it. So I have to say, I started taking pictures with four by five cameras, right? Mm-hmm. And it was all about the composition and the framing. Mm-hmm. Um, there's something quite beautiful in that because, because it became so quiet and still. So that got emanated in the talent, but it was always about the talent standing in a specific place. Mm-hmm. 
and looking a specific way, right? Mm. And that completely takes that spontaneity and that emotional quality out of it, unless it gets so pensive that mm. there is some emotion that's getting evoked. Yeah. So that's where I started. And that sort of evolved, um, I think, till really four or five years ago, um, where I started getting so sufficient in my craft, right? That what's sort of the next level and the next level then obviously to perfect the emotional quality. Mm. And when I say perfect, it's almost impossible. I think the few, I, um, there's a handful of photographers, right? That have stood the test of time. And the reason they have is really the, the people and how they are portrayed in their pictures. That's something that you can't, um, it's a captured moment. It's that ethereal little thing that sits in between that you just get drawn to as a person. So to create that situation, right, you got to have a dialogue with whoever the sitter is. And that often happens, if you want to stage it, it happens the way you described. So when I started taking, um, not taking, shooting film mm -hmm. uh, alongside still pictures, it was really a revelation for me because in film, you set the narrative and they act out the narrative within the frame. And as I started shooting still and video side by side, I realized that the still pictures got a lot better. So now, even if it's just still pictures, I will give them, whoever I photograph, the backstory of how I see the picture and the narrative unfolding and give them uh, an emotional anchor um, for what the feeling is. So I don't say go in there and stand there and look that way yeah. anymore. It's, this is what the story is. This is the setting is. If you have any emotional sort of memories around something similar, take a deep breath, think about that, and let that emanate through you as you walk into the scene and you act it out or whatever. So it really, it's really way more emotionally and narratively driven now than it is. Mm -hmm. Just, just stand here and let me take a picture kind of thing. Right. Exactly. So yes, you are doing the same. <laughs> and it took me way longer to get there. <laughs> Maybe working with kids, you know, got you there a lot faster because they get so bored. And if you ask a kid to stand there and pose, uh, it always is like, yeah. yeah. It's exactly. something goofy. It never becomes right. So you, right? Yeah. So you have to deal with kids in a different way. Exactly. So it also got me gray hair. Yeah, no, you, faster, you guys so. so nailed it. It takes photographers a lifetime to figure that stuff out. It took me. So um, good for you. Good Thank for you. you. No, we've we've well, we've learned from we've learned from you know the best like you because we've we've really studied you know like I said mm -hmm. um, you know the, the facial expressions. Um, the coloring is another thing that we're extremely drawn to um, by like your work and how you also use yeah. that to set the the mood and the setting. And I think that's something that uh, also a lot of people struggle with, even ourselves. Um, we're still trying to figure out because we we're not we're not photographers like this is. Yeah, we're learning. We, we don't really consider ourselves. Oh, yeah. come on. We're, we're more like compositors. your pictures are absolutely stunning. So you got to stop selling yourself short. This is the second time now. Yeah. Yeah. We always like we're always like, oh, we're compositors because mostly we'll we'll take a shot and then we're like, ah, we'll we'll edit it in post. Yeah. We'll fix it in post. <laughs> because we're we're still learning. Like, we're, I mean, he's he's only been using the camera for, I think, two years. I just started using it last or this year. And we're still learning about lighting and we're having to, you know, try to quickly learn everything yeah. because 
we really want to, you know, get better. And one of the things that we've learned is the use of light and the the tones that mm-hmm. you that you use to evoke a certain emotion. And um, I know, like with the um, behind the scenes that we were watching of yours of the 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 girl in the bedroom in the hotel room, like that your use of color there. And I remember the way you guys were tweaking the the light from like uh, the the room, um, like a separate room, and it was oh, just yeah. it was just very yeah. magical. It, it really sets a. I don't even know how to explain yeah. it. I'm just very fascinated with it. And I really like uh, what you said about. So there's this thing with like technical skill, and I feel like everyone comes into it thinking like, oh, like how could I? And we were just talking about this yesterday. It's like how could I master this tool? And they always point to the tool of being like either Photoshop or or their camera. But the thing that really sets people apart and the, the layer above that is the story and the, and the storytelling. And that's where you can really shine and really bring a unique factor to your artwork is by you creating that narrative, you creating a story around it. So it's not necessarily the technical part that people are always so obsessed with. You know, it's more or less the the story that the uniqueness that you build into it. And that's what will set you apart. And that's what people just never really get, you know, Mm -hmm. coming into it, Mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. It's such a better way to start, too. So, yes, knowing your tools is really important. But instead of thinking, what light am I going to use in this picture? Like you said, start with the narrative. What story do you want to tell? What's the emotion? You know, what is this feeling? And then shape light and feeling around that. And I think if you know what the... um, storyline is or the context of what you want to create is it's easy to see if the light work or not mm-hmm. yeah. right yeah. but if you start with oh i'm going to take a portrait and let's put up a light over here because i've seen it on the behind the scenes yeah. yeah then it's going to work for you even if you don't know if it's quite the right thing but if you have a narrative or a story or an emotion that you know you want to evoke you will see really fast that hey this light scenario doesn't work yeah not for how i want it to feel so i think it's a way better place to start you know from um either the character or the storyline or something that can inform all these other technical things like light and lenses too Mm -hmm. right and camera height all this stuff could uh, come from the uh, the narrative or the story side rather than oh let's just take a picture side um do you find do you ever find it difficult when working on a client project so not necessarily a personal project but you know, a client project to to put that emotion into the work uh, when there's so many people that have creative stakes into the work, you know? So the reason I talk a lot about the emotions in the work is, is because it's what I'm working on, right? So I'm not talking about it because it's what I know. If <laughs> I know my craft, I know my cameras, um, I know the lenses, I know the lights. So you never hear me talk about that. What I talk about is the emotional component because that's what I'm drawn to and that's what I'm working on myself. So as we go into it, I want to make sure that everyone knows that, hey, I I'm, I don't know how to nail this emotional thing because mm-hmm. wow. it's so ethereal. It's yeah. just yeah. fleeting, right? Yeah. Um, so I just want to put that disclaimer out there that that's a lifelong quest oh, yeah. to create pictures that has true sort of real gritty emotion in it. Mm-hmm. I think Nadav Kander, by the way, is someone that is a master of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so if anyone want to get some references, I think he's a good one together with Abaddon and his portraits, of course. Um, so yes, it is, to get back to your question, it is hard to create that emotional context on demand. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think what I just talked to, 
It's okay. So casting is important, right? Because it's not just me. So you want to cast someone, and I realized that the way that they do it in commercials and for film, where you have a video casting rather than just looking at a picture, mm-hmm. will really help you inform um, who the person is um, more so than a still picture. Because okay. when you, so he, here's the thing, right? If you have someone coming to a casting session and yeah. they smile yeah. and they look good. On the still picture, that could be fine. You think, oh, that character looks good. You know, let's pick that yeah. person. But when you see that tension and how nervous they are in front of the camera um, in a video, you know instantly that working with someone like that, that's so intimidated by the lens, it's going to be harder to get to a place where they can really be comfortable, right? So I think for larger commercial projects, I'm speaking from maybe this is not the best perspective for someone that's going to start out, right? But in in my world where you have larger castings, I've become very aware of um, how their body language is and how they are in that small little casting moment. Mm-hmm. And if they are relaxed and comfortable with themselves and with the lens, I know that I could get to a place where they could emanate this emotion that we want a lot quicker. Um, I also like working with actors more so than uh, models. So actors have done all this prep work, right? Often they've worked on themselves and how to emanate and be in an emotional place that feels real to camera for so long. Mm -hmm. So maybe for the people that's listening that doesn't work with budget and casting agents, maybe put it out there that looking to cast actors or find actors to photograph and that you can find easily. I mean, there's so many actors now that want to, have, want to have their pictures taken. So to start with actors, I think is a great place mm. to, to, okay. to practice the skill mm-hmm. of, of working with people that can emanate, right? Because you have to, in a commercial setting like I'm in, you have to create it. And I, I think at this time in my career, maybe 75% of what I do is repeat business. So... To get to a place like that, you have to be able to perform, right? Um, you can't get lucky. You yeah. have to be able to try to get all the elements of casting and clothing and hair, makeup and yeah. location mm-hmm. and light and all that stuff to come together to something that feels really good. So on these projects, are do you usually hire your own team or does the the brand usually provide the the hairdressers and the the models and all that. No, everything everything goes through us. So there's it's maybe been one or two times where there's been brand ambassadors that via photograph that comes with the client, mm-hmm. but otherwise, um, the agency come to us with the concept and we we take it from there. So okay. we'll just get the layout, and from the layout, I have a conversation with my producer, and um, we talk about how often for me it's location driven, right? So where uh, can we photograph this in the best possible way at this time of the year? Because often, right, they will come in the fall and say, oh, we want this green, lush landscape. So where can we create that, right? Where in, in the world uh, is it green? So, this, so it starts from there. And then the creative conversation goes with the producer, where and how. And then we look at casting, right? Because mm-hmm. if, this, if this is a place that's remote, how do you get people in there? And what's that going to cost? And so that's the, that's the process. So we... Uh, essentially take it from the drawings into making it a picture and every aspect that's within that. But it's the same as you guys do. You know, you come up with an idea and you sketch it out and then you capture the pieces. So it's not any different. It's that the difference, I guess, is that it's done for someone else. And with um, 
doing it for someone else, there's some accountability and they want to see the people before, they want to improve the people before, they want to wow. know where we're going, they want to know where they're staying. So there's just a little bit more um, involvement in making all that stuff happen and people getting comfortable with the process. Mm. Have you ever had like a, um, you know, like working as a commercial photographer, you, I know you're hired by these, um, you know, these companies for the purpose of, of a campaign, right? Um, do you ever have like a, an issue with like creative differences, like where maybe your direction or the way you're going isn't like maybe what they're, what they were hoping for. And then there's kind of like a creative difference there. Does that ever happen to you or is it kind of just, or like they just trust you. Yeah. They just trust you. Want to move forward with whatever vision you have. Uh, so there's both. So obviously at this stage in my career, I get hired to execute my vision of things. But then that got a balance, right? Um, what, um, what the brand is and what co the concept is and all that. So if they come to me and say, it's going to be a bright, happy day with these people doing such and such thing in this and that place, then I can't just come and tell them and say, oh, no, that's silly. Yeah. <laughs> it should just be moody and gritty. Yeah. And imagine if it was nighttime. So, no, I'm... I'm fully aware of my place as a commercial photographer, right? I really get honored when people come knocking on my door and say, hey, we love your work. Can you help us with this concept? And we're going to pay you a bunch of money to do so. Mm -hmm. Then I really start, my first questions are really to try to understand what they want to accomplish and what they want to say, right? Mm -hmm. So with that understanding, I go in and shape it with the way I see light and the way I do things. So yeah, and there's been times when I think that maybe this doing it a different way would serve the picture better but i'm not really serving the picture right i'm serving the idea and the brand so yeah i have no qualms about being a commercial photographer as i said earlier on i really thrive in that environment where it's not just me in my head and i could be with a creative director and lean on all the support and create something together it's a really fascinating process so i know there's a lot of uh, photographers that's maybe are not maybe for sure are more pure to their art than I am. Uh, and they're way more introverted and they maybe say that, oh, don't come and fuck with my photography. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I don't, I don't have that attitude at all. I think, <laughs> yeah. uh, as I said several times now, I thrive in that environment. I'm enough by myself doing my pictures. Mm -hmm. So to come out of that and be in an environment where they can actually help push my pictures further or maybe in a direction I haven't done before, it's, uh, I think it's intoxicating. So it's just a different little mindset, right? I don't mm -hmm. think that my work cannot get better by having someone else's input. Mm -hmm. I think I'm learning still too. Yeah. I really am. You guys say, oh, you want to learn faster and you don't really know quite what you're doing, but neither do I a lot of the times. <laughs> I mean, it's so true because often, right, when you, so let's say I go to a different country and all I've seen is location pictures mm -hmm. and stuff and you meet a lot of the local crew for the first time and you get tossed into a place and so they say, okay, now let's create a great pictures. And they all look at you like, okay, yeah, take, take a good picture now. Yeah. And you just go, yeah. <laughs> I really don't know what I'm doing, but okay. Yeah. So anyway, from then on, you lean on a lot of experience, right? So at the end, you know, it usually turns out right, but um, yeah. Sometimes I have no idea what I'm doing either. What has been your like favorite project that you've done? So I get that question a lot. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it's so hard to say, right? Because I got, um, I did write a blog post about it actually. And 
in there, in reflecting on what my favorite is, um, some of my favorite pictures I've shot right outside my house in the driveway. But some of my favorite experiences, right, around taking pictures have been, well, hassle. you know, I have skydived taking pictures, hired oh. to skydive oh. taking pictures. <laughs> I've been hired to dive into caves to take pictures. I've helicoptered into Zealand for days and days <laughs> to take pictures. It's, oh my. Yeah, no, it's just been so extraordinary, right? So how do you measure those experiences versus the pictures and what my favorite is? It's, I mean, I, yeah been in Thailand repelling off of these like pods that come in out of the water to take a picture. It's the experiences have been so extraordinary. Yeah. I get more and more grateful, right? The, the older I get for what advertising photography have uh, brought to my life. So I don't know what my favorite one is. Um, yeah. And that's admirable too, because you take almost a hundred percent of the photos, right? That you use in these composites. I mean, they're all yours. They're not really stock images. Absolutely. So rarely, so we have used stock when, okay, we need some eagle or some bird or there's several examples where I've used, uh, used stock photography, but now I, I'd like to take ownership of the pictures. And I'm, like you said, oh, we're not photographers, we're compositors. I am for sure a photographer at heart and a compositor second. So, um, you guys should be too, by the way, because you guys create emotion and narratives and all that stuff. And I don't know, I feel like you guys, again, are selling yourself short for saying, oh, we're just compositors. But <laughs> anyway, so for, for me, right, if I can capture the pieces that goes into that story, then I will um, to pretty much every extent. And um, if, if that means, you know, diving or... Mm-hmm. Skydiving. That's a good story. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that's, a, yeah, that's that another good story. You know, I, yeah. <laughs> The diving part is another good story too. I, I'd been diving or taking pictures underwater before, but then it's been with those um, full masks, right? Where you oh, have a tank yeah. and a boat with a sort of a 30 foot hose. And I showed that work and they said, okay, you, you're hired. And I go, oh, okay, we're gonna go into this <laughs> underwater cave and take pictures now. So I would, uh, I took the theory for diving online, then went to Hawaii, had three days to get my certification to go and then had a test dive, and then we hired a boat, and we went into these caves off Lanai, and we took pictures. Wow. <laughs> and again, it's just, wow. Yeah. Anyway, That's insane. It's, um, so, yeah, that it, sounds way more fun than yes. taking a stock image. Yes. Right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, it's, it's, it's so much fun. I think the advertising industry is changing, though. So today, with all the tagging of pictures, it's a lot easier to just say, hey, um, let's find some underwater pictures. And I've done that too. Um, where we've done elements from underwater pictures and photographed people in a pool and put them in, you know, for, for the sake of advertising. So, yeah, um, I'm not sure if it will continue for sure, you know, to create bespoke photography, but I think it's changing, especially now. Yeah. We'll see with COVID, right? How accelerated right. that process will be because oh, it's yeah. not just to get on a plane anymore. Exactly. No, yeah. And there's definitely an art form to taking your own prop, collecting the props and, and photographing the props. And like you said, the, the perfect landscape, the perfect angle and being willing to take, you know, um, go skydiving or diving to get that, you know, that that perfect shot. Because when you're working with stock photography, um, you're kind of limited to whatever yeah. is out there. 
And although the collections are big, it's you might not, you know, have yeah. that that one that fits the angle or the perspective or whatever that you're trying to um, achieve in your composite. So, or you might see the same fish that you use on someone else's photo, right? Yeah, or like something like that. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, hey, that's the fish um, I use, you know. Thing, yeah. things like that but yeah that's that's def definitely admirable to um go out and just amass this whole library mm -hmm. of photos that you could use for client work mm -hmm. um is it kind of typically like that where you where you fall back on your previous photos or is it more like when they hire you you go out and you you start to collect these photos of landscapes and clouds or you know planes things like that um no, it, it's definitely per assignment but then now during covid right we this client came to me and said hey do we, we want to do these pictures in africa but we don't want to go to africa and then uh, i built a background from my files from i've been four different african countries and we just built these savannas and then we shot tents and all that stuff in the foreground and then we put those together um so yeah that's how most of the time, though, 99% of the time, mm -hmm. it starts with the idea and I go and capture all the pieces. Mm -hmm. And as you said, it's almost, it's not impossible, but you are left to work within the parameters of the pictures you can find rather than, you know, saying, wow, we could do whatever we want. It's just to, you know, decide on what the light and the perspective is and make sure that every piece follows that when we capture it afterwards. So it's definitely an easier way to work to capture it originally because you know the pieces will just fall together when it's captured to be in that one picture so that's amazing how um i know you say you've traveled a lot like what what countries have you like gone to how or what country haven't you been to yet yeah <laughs> <laughs> well i've not been to well there's two european countries left there's austria and then there's um, portugal so oh, okay those i want to see for sure I don't know. You know, I traveled so, so much. It's and now with um, with the family, it's almost like I rather not. Right? <laughs> yeah. 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 That's what I was going to ask, too, if you take them with you when you travel or they stay home in San Francisco when you when you do these projects. Well, so um, this is what we learned. So in the beginning, it was just, oh, this is my life and we'll just take it along and it will be fine. But that, that was not fine. You know, our daughter in her. So the first half year or so, we didn't go anywhere. But then from she was seven, eight months till she was a year and a half, she did 150 days on the road. And yeah, super disruptive at different time zones, you know, waking up in the middle of the night, not sleeping well. And for a toddler, to, you have experienced this for sure. When the toddler comes into a new environment that's now going to be home for a few days, the first night or two is just super restless. So it was really disruptive for her. It was really disruptive for us to, every time we would come home, she wanted to sleep in our bed. It was all, so mommy, daddy talks, talk, right? But all that stuff is hard for a young um, little girl. So what we decided was that we would not travel with her as much. And uh, I would do a lot more of the traveling on my own. So since we decided that it's been, you know, it's been great places for them to come along. We were in St. Lucia for, um, we were shooting for four days. We stayed behind for four days. So stuff like that, right? When it's really good family time, then she could come along. But it's, 
it's not as easy as I had it in my mind when, you know, we first decided to to have a family. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh. I, I had to pull Vanessa back from traveling. I'm like, all right, we, we got to get a home now because yeah. <laughs> she's a she's a definitely more of a travel body than than I am. You know, she loves to travel and just go everywhere. You know, and she could she do it you know full time 365 days a year so but it's not but it's not like you said it's not easy when you have kids and you're having to you know shift them from you know location to location and you know different time zones and environments it's i mean it's it's a cool experience uh, for sure but at the same time it's i i kind of had the same epiphany too where i visualized it a certain way where we would go to certain places and we'd, you know, photograph the place and we'd create a photo inspired by the place as a family. But when you're there and you have your your kids, it's you you realize it's not that easy, you know, because <laughs> crying. Or, yeah, you know, it's just like <laughs> yeah, so it just becomes a disaster at some point. You know? Yeah, <laughs> oh, so. that's funny, yeah. but um, it's definitely it's definitely been fun. Um, yeah. No, so it's not just negative, right? It's so crazy gratifying to to, to, yeah. to be able to do it. We just realized it wasn't as easy, and um, you know, fifteen percent of the travel we did uh, that year would have probably been enough. So yeah, yeah, we're just changing strategies a little bit. But now we're stuck here, though. So now yeah. there's no travel going on. <laughs> so it's it's fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, we want to go ahead and wrap up with a quick little lightning round that we like doing with our guests. Um, just like some fun, random questions. Um, so yeah, we call it our not so, what do we call it? Not so lightning, lightning round. Cause we end up just like going into like a chatty part, like, (laughs) you know, so it's it's supposed to be like quick, but we end up just chatting away. Yeah. (laughs) So let's go ahead and, um, dive into that. So. The first one would be, what is your favorite type of genre that you maybe listen to? Or what do you listen to when you're editing on your photos? Oh, wow. Uh, podcasts. Oh, okay. Oh, really? <laughs> I, yeah. So I used to listen to music. Now I listen to podcasts. So I could, so I do a lot of the initial retouching myself, right? So in the beginning, I did everything, but now I do all the clouds and the putting to uh, the color, the tone, the putting together the pieces, and then I send it off to be be cleaned up so that and to have client feedback, which um, my retoucher Chris, who have been together with for twelve years maybe, uh, help support that effort. Um, but anyway, so in the beginning it was all music, but now it's all podcasts. How long does it usually take to uh, complete one of your like composites or or photo retouches? Oh wow. It so depends. You know, if it's a background, a person in the cloud, I could probably put it together in an hour, hour and a half, you know, if the pieces fit well. Um, I'm working on a really fun project now that will be sort of heavy dream composite um, with uh, motion elements to it. So it will be shot both still and film. And I don't know, that's going to go on for weeks. Yeah. For weeks yeah. and weeks. It got CGI elements. It's got... Well, you talked about stock, right? We, we need to shoot a swan. So the option is to go to a swan sanctuary, you know, three hours away and see if we could capture the swan know. or find stock photography or created CGI. So, yeah. Yeah. When, when do um, you, when would be like a decision where you're like, all right, let's just go CGI for sure. 
versus like capturing all the, is it like the difficulty of getting that that asset yeah so in our case right it's it's time and money the um all feathery and organic stuff is a lot harder to make look or you know real um oh, in cgi yeah. so anything i feel like cars and steel and stuff is so seamless now architecture it's yeah anything yeah. sort of man-made material they can make look so perfect um mm -hmm. Well, when you look at movies, you know they can make animals look and feel really perfect too, but it's oh, just yeah. just a big, big effort that costs a lot of money. They will run off with their whole budget, you know, <laughs> making one right. piece of it. Um, right. So for yeah. us, it's, um, um, yeah, it's a balance of all those things. What's easier, what's better, what's more affordable, and then, yeah, so it's all those things weigh in a commercial project. Oh, I see. Yeah, I, I think I heard you on um, on an interview one time on like Pro Edu, and you were talking about uh, one project that lasted like almost uh, I think like three to four months, like on yeah. a campaign, and I was like, wow, that's like <laughs> that's such a long time, because then um, it's hard to stay consistent, right? To keep putting out work and, uh, while these projects take so long, you know, so. How, how do you manage that? You know, how do you manage putting out personal work alongside these really long, drawn out campaigns that you're working on uh, for different companies? Well, do you find so, it difficult? So, yeah, so then you don't really. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> it's sort of the arc of a commercial artist, right? Where you, I feel, to be honest, that I was doing pictures that was truer to myself in the beginning, right? because it was way more innocent and intuitive. And then as the craft got more polished, maybe it lost some of that innocence or whatever in the photography. And then you add the commercial layer on top of it and suddenly it's, yes, it has me in it, but is it as honest? Definitely not. So yeah. I'm sure you guys will, your work is so extraordinary and I'm, you know, I'm sure you've been, be approached by really big clients if you if you do the marketing and you reach reach the decision makers i'm sure you would get hired so for you guys too right you're putting in so much effort now creating all this beautiful content or beautiful pictures and then you get hired for someone that says okay you're going to create seven of these for us right mm -hmm. and then they tell you that you can't really show it um as on your in any of your social media channels or on your right, website right. until the usage is up which is three years mm -hmm. from now so right. in that time, you, you're just completely dedicated to one, yes, you're creating, but, and you're also making money, but you can't really show that you're creating, right, to exactly. everyone else that judges you by, by what you put out. So it's a lot of that for us commercial photographers, that especially in this healthcare segment of advertising, which is one of the very few that's still very vibrant and have decent budgets, they will 99% of the time, never allow you to show the work that's being produced. So, oh, okay. so I, I, see my, I see my career like, um, let me see. Now I'm on this beautiful wave, right? And I'm gonna take it all the way to the beach. And as I get to the beach, I'm gonna end with a big smile and get back to where I started, which is really just doing it for fun. Yeah. It's still, yeah. so I shouldn't say that because it's still an extraordinary amount of fun to work on commercial projects. So it's not that, but the idea of, only doing things that nurtures and explores myself um it's getting more and more fascinating again the older i get so the answer is you you can't really balance that right so that 
project that took us um, three and a half months, maybe. We were on the road shooting for five weeks. And then there was a gap between the locations. And then all the retouch to get it done. Um, you don't do really anything else. Yeah. It's, it's, it's that one thing. Right. So. Yeah. And then you stack the jobs, right? So you go from one to another to another. <laughs> yes. And then if, so what you're going to see is that, well, you like to be the one doing your retouching, but in, if you get a job after a job after a job and there's deadlines, you won't be able to. So that's when you sit, you know, between 8 p.m. and 2 a.m. and you do your quick putting together like I do, where yeah. you say, this is the quality and this is the pieces. And then you send it off to someone that you really trust um, and mm. know your aesthetic to make sure that all those masks are perfect and they're blended and things feel seamless and all that. So anyway, so that's the arc. So you don't get the time. Um, yeah. But, you know, it's... Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's a give and take, yeah. It's, oh, it's, it's a give it's, and take, but it's, it's really just... Um, a give and give, give and give, because it's not like I'm going to a job that I'm not happy with, right? Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. So, so it's true. not like I have a day job that I don't like, and then I come home and I do this thing that I like. I have mm -hmm. a day job that I love. So, yeah. yeah, that's true. Yeah, that, that's the that's the crazy thing about like today is how a lot of these projects last so long, but then what people expect from you in order to stay relevant like that window has become so short mm. like people expect things especially since the you know <clears throat> instagram it's like if you don't post in the week like you're you're almost forgotten like mm. who is this person mm. you know and it's like with compositing oh, don't say that i think it's been a month or two since i posted last <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah it, it almost feels like that and um when when there's so many creative people that you're almost in competition with and you're having to post for us it's maybe like twice a month because of the length of time it takes to really compose everything i mean these are like 18 plus hours of work um on top of like everything else you got going on in your life um we only get maybe like two posts done a month but then you have other competitors that are like posting like every day mm -hmm. like every day there's something new you know, mm -hmm. so it's almost like uh, if you layer that with the the business projects, it's almost like you you're you're almost out of work at that point, mm -hmm. or people forget about you and you can't grow, and then you get less clientele, and it's it's kind of a vicious cycle. Well, you know? well, that's like in the industry of social media, though, um, and that's yeah. and that's like one of like the cons to you know the fact that we're in the social we're viewed as more influencers, so. Um, we're like we're struggling right now because we kind of want to branch out of that and we want yeah. to just we want to just we definitely want to get images. away from the whole social yeah. media influencer vibe we want to yeah. definitely go more into making books and you know uh, commercial photography like yourself like things like that like we're more drawn to mm -hmm. uh, aside from like the social media influencer tag yeah. you know so you uh, know no so what we talked about in the beginning right it's to find the balance between crafting and having an audience is is the key and um, i'm i'm really struggling with it right i spent so much of my life chasing this thing of um becoming a photographer so when i left norway at 22 there was absolutely no way that I would go home without succeeding. 
So I was so singularly focused. Everything I did, right, from early morning to, again, early morning, mm-hmm. to late at night and into the mornings, every day, seven days a week, was all to, if not make it as a photographer, at least get to a place where I really was, you know, accomplished in my craft. So I guess what I'm saying is when life shifts for you guys with a larger family, it's almost impossible to compete with someone that is so singularly focused. So you can't compare yourself to, oh, this guy is producing work that's coming out twice. For this composite work that you guys are doing, it's so involved, right? I don't know anyone that can do that, you know, every day of the week, unless they are only doing that all day long. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I too, you know, tend to still compare myself to what I see other people put put out, but I can't, I realize I can't do both. And I've been doing it for so long and I'm so excited now to have a family and a little bit of a quieter pace, um, mm. quieter pace. So yeah, um, I guess where I'm going, going is, everyone's life situation is different and the arc of my life and your life with family can't be compared to someone that's is whose sole mission it is to feed the social media machine and get noticed uh in that manner so i think uh, that's absolutely right yeah Yeah. it's tough though that it's become reality right to to be noticed Mm -hmm. and to to look like you're really active in doing your craft you should post stuff all the time but yeah. unfortunately that's where it is right now there's other ways yeah. though to to reach uh, a lot of the decision makers you make it mention books and uh, and advertising you know there's still ways to reach those people outside of social media even they are more and more looking mm-hmm. to social media um there's still ways to reach them outside of that so there's definitely other that's yeah. true other avenues you know to market yourself yeah Very true. i think one of our dream brands is probably to work with converse <laughs> right if that's your dream brand you know i'm sure you can reach all the creatives you know that's working on that account somehow even though you're not posting yeah. on social media yeah yeah true. we've been rocking converse forever so like in, in all of our photos <laughs> well who hasn't right? in, in all of our photos yeah <laughs> in all of our photos you can see like the kids are wearing like converse and all that so that's like one of our dream brands like, yeah, we, oh, we, we want to do yeah <laughs> we do everything in converse so it's funny <laughs> um so back to our lightning round our not so lightning this, this, yeah, is, why we, we, yeah, this is why we call it our not so lightning <laughs> lightning round um what about um, your favorite lens? My favorite lens. Well, I know what my favorite lens is. It's the 2870. It never really. Oh, is it 24? 28, 24? 24, 24, 7. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It used to be 28. See, that's how old school I am. But then they went, made it, made it wider. <laughs> yeah, that never leaves my camera. Really. So when I, I used to travel, right? When I first traveled as a photographer with four by five camera, bunch of lenses, and a bag full of four by five holders. Now, if I'm going to go somewhere, it's a backpack and in it, it's the one DSR with the 2470 on it. Are you a night owl or a, how do you say, early bird? Morning bird. Morning bird, yeah. Early bird? Early Early bird. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What's the saying? I don't even know. I love the mornings, but when it comes to work, it usually trickles into late at night. So if I sit down and retouch, that just goes into 
I could go and sit down at eight after dinner and just go to two, three in the mornings. Well, that's about it, right? Yeah, that's uh, everything. All yeah, right. that's all our questions. But I've really enjoyed talking to you. Yeah, thank you great. so much again. And likewise, yeah, you guys. This means likewise, a lot. <laughs> um, it's been so fun to see um, the work that you guys are creating. It's absolutely beautiful and clever and romantic, and I know it's really quite fascinating. So it was great to catch up and talk to you. Thank you. That's Thank awesome. You. Thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. <laughs> we'll definitely keep in touch. Yeah, no, yeah. for sure you should. And if you make it out to California, you know, I live now outside of San Francisco by an hour and in Sonoma. So if you make it up this way, you got to come say hi. Yes. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> we'll get some wine and uh, we'll get some Mediterranean Italian. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you guys. Well, yeah. I so appreciate your time. All right. Well, nice chatting with you. Likewise. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Uh, uh, Bye. <laughs> hey, everybody. It's Xander here. If you like today's podcast, make sure you leave us a review. And if you do, I'll send you a candy.